Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together as a people, God, to uh, engage with your word and what you're doing in and through your word, Father, and we just thank you. We ask that your spirit would lead and guide us and that we would have hearts filled with a desire to continue to seek out these truths that we might be the image bearers you call us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, a little review. Pastor Pete's not allowed to answer any of these questions. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. You can't, can't ha- vote by way of somebody or speak by way of somebody else. Uh, what word was used to describe the Hebrew canon? Where's Mark? Where's my, my uh, mic guy? Oh, his wife knows it. You might as well just stop right there with her. The Tanakh. T- the Tanakh. Very good. And the Tanakh actually stands for, those are the three letters that represent what are the three divisions of the Tanakh, if you will. I'll give you the first one. The law, and then what is it? We want to make this a community effort. Is that what we're doing? Prophets. Prophets, very good. And the last one? Writings. Writings, outstanding. And the prophets, how were they divided? I know that. All right, uh, here we go. This is, by the way, this is week five, so hit it. Former and the latter. Very good. Boom. Got it. So, what you're telling me, Gary, is as long as you stick around for five repetitions of my preaching, you'll get it then. Okay, got it. All right, all right. <laughs> all right, and the writings are, how, do we, how are they divided? Pre and post. Pre and post exilic. Outstanding. Okay. And uh, what's another name for the, uh, I'll say, that what's the Greek name for the Torah or the five books? There's a clue because it, it, it's a numbering system. What's the Greek word? Say it, just say it. Pentateuch, very good. Penta, very good. Wonderful. And then, uh, when was the Pentateuch likely authored? Okay, so somewhere between 1446 and 1406, so the 40 years, which were the years of, starts with a W, Wilderness or wanderings, wonderful. One, good job. Um, this is the one that was neat that I had not actually heard verbalized um, in this context or in this setting. Um, certainly, we know this uh, this word in an understanding. But Pastor Pete shared with us that compared to other religions, what was the unique? What was unique about the theology presented in Genesis? I want to jump back there. Do you remember the the word that starts with a T? The telos. Yes, there's a goal. Thank you for all, all you guys. There's a, there's a goal involved with, it, with this narrative unraveling. So, or I should be unveiling, not unraveling. That would be a bad way of interpreting it because our God is in control. Okay, here's something. This is my Gary Moss, my throw out to Gary Moss because I'm using this book. It's called A Biblical Theological Introduction to the Old Testament, The Gospel Promised, and the, the big dog here is Miles V. Van Pelt. That's, not the, the, that's nothing towards Gary yet. That's the editor, and this guy is a big dog in the uh, Presbyterian circles. And then the second one up, second, is Richard P. Belcher. Woohoo! That was, which is the son of the daddy who was your, your preacher uh, long ago when you were a boy. Don't you wish you listened to those sermons a little more carefully? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's good. Nick, and he married them. Oh, he, did he do the service? Look at that. You had a big dog do your service. Woo! Okay. 
Um, there are others. I just want to give you an idea. You know how on the beginning of your Bibles, it does, if you've got a study Bible on the beginning, it'll go over the date, the, um, the time, the themes. It'll, it'll give you all that information up front. And that's what we're doing with each book here. And we're in Deuteronomy this week. Um, but when you get to a book like this, they take a whole chapter to take this on. And I, wanna, I just want to throw some names out here because I'm a Reformed Baptist, but I recognize from my teaching and some of the books that I've read that there are other big dogs in here. Um, John Currid, who you've heard me actually reference him in, in uh, some of my sermons because he is a, he's a, he also understands the Egyptian culture and the Babylonian culture. So when, he's, when he expounds, he's coming from a context that is within, you know, it's not like a, you know, me trying to go, I'm gonna, okay, what do I know as an American? And I'm reading my Bible. He takes the culture and the context of the culture and it gives us much better understanding. Then there's uh, Mark Furtado is another big, big guy. Uh, let's see. Uh, here's the guy that is today, and I'm giving him all the credit. I'm just reading his stuff. Uh, he did the chapter this week. John Scott Redd, R-E-D-D. Anybody ever heard him before? I actually had never read anything on him. And I was impressed with some of the things. And we're going to get to something that he lays out here that I'm going to challenge you with it. And, and the reason, one of the reasons I like uh, to give you a handout sometimes is because it gives you a chance to take it home and see, eh, do I buy with that, what was coming from the pulpit? I'm a Berean. Am I, do I listen carefully and do I, do I fully uh, agree with what was said or whatever? That's just being a Berean. We praise God that uh, he tells us to be such people. Okay, I do have one more question, kind of a fun question. Do you, uh, first off, do you know the first five books, which are the Torah or the Pentateuch of the Bible? That's the law. Uh, you probably do. You, if I tell, said, hey, who, can you tell me what are the five books? What mechanism do you use to remember? What acronym do you use in your head to remember those books? If you, if you do. And some of you may have a, a song in your head that you've had all your life that you can, you can rattle off all of them. It's not just the Torah. Anybody have anything at all, an acronym? First off, do you know? Any, anybody want to gutsy and, and step forward and say how they know or how they remember? Well, I thought this was, I thought I was, because uh, I'm terrible at rote memory. I forget things that fall off the shelf so quickly, uh, so to speak, off my brain, that I have to use acronyms. Go ahead, Jane. She had something. And uh, Jane, if it's a song, we want to hear you sing it. <laughs> well, actually, I had to learn it in third grade Sunday school class. Uh, we learned all the books of the Bible, and it was a competitive thing where we had stars and stickers on a chart, you know? And it was a smallish church. I was the only girl in the class. And there were like five boys. And I was bound and determined I was going to learn them before all the boys did. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so I was very motivated. <laughs> um, so, uh, no, it didn't really have a, a, a um, monomic for it, but just, uh, I guess, rote memorization. Um, but just and reinforcement throughout my growing up years and teaching my kids and Okay. They had little songs, too, but I can't remember the tunes, what it was. So. They okay. had one for the New Testament. I can't remember what the Old Testament was. So, All right. Not very helpful. So songs, songs are story. an incredible yeah, way to songs, memorize. Songs are a great Absolutely. way to remember. All right. Nobody else has anything. I'm going to give you mine, and then it's going to stick in your brain. Are you going to sing it? Uh, no, I'm not going to sing. Uh -uh. <laughs> the only reason I remember the Torah, kind of a, everything has to be an acronym for me if I'm going to memorize it, is instead of chill, it's gel, Nick. Nick Benedetto, J 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Nick Benedetto. Just gel, Nick. And first, that has stuck with me all these years. It's a stupid thing that you're almost embarrassed to say it, but I always remember one of the first five books of the, of the, of the Bible. And so, anyways, I just encourage you to think of, as we're going through things, we're not going through them just for info. Hopefully, you're, you're getting every drop out of it, and you're, you're learning some things, and you're, you're trying to hide it in your, in your memories, in your, in your heart. Okay, let's do this. Um, I'm gonna, I've got, you guys have the handout. There's a couple things I want to point out. Uh, in, uh, we've got as the author, we already dealt with the title. Oh, no, we actually we didn't deal with the title. The title is uh, Deuteros is what you see. It's two words squished together, manos. That is a two words in Greek that have been squished together that make one word. And we know it as Deuteronomy. So what it actually means is Deuto, or Deut- or Deuteros, I should say, is second. And namas is law. Now, you don't see it as, uh, you don't, well, you can't read the Greek, so you couldn't tell anyways. I mean, a bunch of the vowels, excuse me, the letters make different noises and whatnot, so that's why people say it's all Greek to me. Um, But it means second law. Now, I want to get some feedback from you. Why did the Lord, in his wisdom, create or have the book of Deuteronomy inscripturated for us. What's the connection? What's the implication? Why does he have a second law as it relates to this law and the people that he's dealing with? Anybody have any? And um, Sorry, Mark. Uh, Jamie's got one, an idea. Why do we have this book, Second Law? One thing that comes to my mind is the, this is a new generation that hasn't had the same experience that the first generation had when they received the law directly from God. Good. Excellent. New generation. Okay? They need, they need the law. They need to understand the law. So, should we open this up expecting it to be word for word what we already read in Exodus? Is it word for word what, we read, uh, what he gave in the law in Exodus? No, something's different. Go ahead, Jamie. More details. More details. Oh, fascinating. Uh, details. Why more details? And you, you don't get to answer this one. Anybody, why would you think that he, get, he is giving more details in this second telling of the law or the, the second law? One was a ceremonial law and the other was a, a moral law. It had more to do with the tabernacle. He, interesting. He, well, well, we do. It does have more to do with, with each area. So the, the moral, civil, and ceremonial all have more explained why would he need to have more explained? What's different about this generation from the first generation? I didn't, it looks like uh, we got somebody saying something over here. Go ahead, we'll pass it over to Dennis. They kept messing up. They needed more instruction. That's probably definitely true. But think about it. The first generation didn't do what, and what is the second generation going to do? Gary, jump on that, Gary. Well, they're about to enter into the promised land. So yeah. it's a little more complicated. There you at go. This point. Mom and Dad, you blew it. Everybody who was 20 and younger were considered, young, were considered the children, the generation that was considered the children. 
they're now, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, they're now the people that are going to enter the land. Looks like you were going to say something, Stephen? Uh, one general difference is in the first law, it was directly given by the voice of God. The, the moral law was Whereas directly given. Whereas in the second given. law, it's mostly the voice of Moses giving the law to the Israelites. Wonderful. Okay. Uh, appreciate it. Now you guys are starting to see it's multifaceted, the second law. Don't get, when you're reading it, you don't, don't go, oh, I read this before. I can go quickly over it. Because there will be portions that sound familiar, but what he's doing is he's expounding on it because they're in a new place, meaning that they're getting ready to, 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 con- to go in and do what they're called to do to conquer the people and then live there. They need more details. When we get there, what does this look like in this scenario? What does it look like in this scenario? So he's, the second law is Moses giving a more detailed explanation. Here's something. He's establishing a pattern. Now think about this. I'm going to ask this from a parental perspective. What is the pattern he is establishing as it relates to one generation to another generation? Uh, we've got Jamie again. Jamie, you're on it. You have like two, three cups of coffee or something today? <laughs> what comes to my mind is Deuteronomy 6.4, where parents are obligated to train up their children in the law as they, as they live out their lives constantly. And so the main thing is not to lose it in a generation. I wish that that happened. It's interesting. Um, I would, and you're absolutely, you're dead on. In fact, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, is Pastor Pete and I were talking about chiasms. Chiasms are uh, a, a form, a literary way to show by way of importance what is important. And the chiasm goes, it points one direction and it comes back another direction. It uses A, A to B, B to A, and, what, and whatnot. But it, in the, wherever the point is in that uh, formula, that's the most important thing. And the Shema in the first section is the most important thing and that they're supposed to teach their children so think about this, parents. We got parents on the back row that got a ton of kids back there, and we got parents in the middle row here, and we got grandparents. Here's something that is that your kids don't know how to live and take the law of the of what God has given and apply it in their society, which has changed from what was your society. The generation has changed. The 80s was all about patriotism. Patriotism is almost dead in this country. It's despised in this country. What's that? that? Yeah, it makes you terrorist if you're patriotic. So we have a, a, a totally different environment or culture that we live in. Some of what I say isn't going to cover, meaning that if I take what I know of its application, today's kids are going to be going, what does that have to do today? That, Dad, that's yesterday. Well, the... What, I'm, what I want you to hear is the truth hasn't changed. It's how it applies in our culture. The truth from the, the first generation that went into the, into the land, or were supposed to go, hadn't changed. The truth was the same, but they never made it there. He gave them the bare bones of what, of what the, the law was. Now Moses is saying, I'm handing the baton off to Joshua, and this is what you need to know when you're going in. And this is because you're going to experience this in this new culture. You're going to in a completely pagan culture that God has, has told you that you need to remove these people as a, as a form of his judgment. A lot of people will say, oh, 
this God of the Old Testament is so mean and, and terrible. This God has been so patient, living uh, patiently allowing these people to rebel against him and hate him and worship other gods. They're going to get their, their, their punishment, their judgment against them in this, their earthly days by way of his people occupying the land that he promised to them. But all of these other nations are going to try and influence them. So you're seeing Moses saying, look, these are the laws and this is how it pertains to this, to, to this culture. One of the things that we need to remember, when, especially when we're teaching our kids, all of God's laws are designed to bring about righteousness and justice in our societies. Righteousness and justice. If we miss that in, in teaching it to our kids, if we miss that in our own attempt to try and make it uh, real to us, in other words, take the principle and apply it in our, our setting, we will miss the value of it. Some people say, have you ever heard people say, oh, the law. Oh, gosh, how boring. Really, justice is boring? Righteousness? Don't you want to be treated? Don't, you should be treating others as you want to be treated? Isn't that an ultimate form of, of justice? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't life be so much more bearable in justice? Wouldn't we be honoring God more? So I just want to make sure that when you get to this place of this second law and you're helping your kids know it, parents in, uh, in particular have a huge responsibility. I, I, I have seen churches go overboard with the gospel. And you go, how could you go overboard? That's almost sacrilegious what you just said. They're all grace, meaning that you ask them, well, then what law governs your life? Well, the love of Jesus well, you're going to have to explain it down because I'm not sharp enough to know what that looks like in concrete terms. What does that look like? And they'll start to share with you the law of Christ. And Christ is the fulfillment. He came to fulfill the law. What law is he fulfilling? The Old Testament law. He's fulfilling all that is required of him. So I just want us to make sure that we get this, that you don't tire of this, that you somehow you think it's bad to teach your kids law. Law is how you get order in a society. Now, certainly, God is working in and through the hearts of the people, but we've got to remember that. Okay, so keep, let's keep looking down here. The date was around 1406. I'm going to actually read to you. I'm going to do this because I'm going to show you something. You guys have to make a decision right away this morning. You have to decide. Pastor Pete has talked about this. Does God allow another party that we don't know who they are, you could use the word to compile, to edit, to do something in the arrangement of the scriptures that is also inspired, or is everything done by the, the known author who writes the lion's share? He basically writes the content, but somebody else, and there's nobody else compiling it in such a way that it's presented as God wants it presented. And so you have to decide. In other words, you have to decide, did Moses prophetically, was he given an understanding of what was going to happen to him? And he speaks from that, that position in the beginning of Deuteronomy and the end of Deuteronomy. Or is it possible that, that God uses a potential, I will tell you, it would have to be a scribe. It would have to be somebody who is, has been given that 
that level of training and expertise to be able to not only know what God wants, but to put it in the writing that God has inspired to, for it to occur. So let me read to you Deuteronomy 1, 5, excuse me, 1 through 5. I believe this is a narrator. This is not Moses. And the whole last chapter of Deuteronomy, I believe, is a narrator and is not Moses. But I also believe that this narrator, I'm using that term instead of compiler, is inspired. He's giving the account as God has given him so that it, he's giving some intro and some, some end summation so that the, this book has some structure to it that is comprehensible and that is not just a compilation of... Because of, you know what Moses is doing here? Moses is, get, is preaching. Deuteronomy is a ton of preaching. Well, he's preaching several different times, several different uh, issues, and who's going to make this all make sense? So let's listen to, look at, um, again, you make, either way is acceptable by orthodoxy, whether you believe that it's Moses that wrote verses 1 through 5, or you believe it's a narrator. Let, let me read it to you. There's some fascinating things going on here. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, L- L- uh, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. Now listen to this. Important fact. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb. Horeb is the same thing as Mount Sinai. That's where they parked for a year and getting the law from God before they were supposed to go to the land and go conquer it, the first generation. It is, I wish it's almost, it would help us if, the, if God would have said this, but he didn't. This is how Hebrew works. It's subtle. If he would have put the word only in here, it would have caught our attention a little more. It is only seven days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea, where the spies went in. What's that? What did I say? That is so weird. My wife catches me doing that all the time. By the way, if I ever do that in a sermon, someone, you know, write a word down, put it up so I don't get it wrong. I'm just like, Nicholas, how did you do that? Okay, it is... 11 days journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. And then look what he does. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month. So if you're reading this as a, or hearing this as a Hebrew, what should have taken 11 took 40 because they were rebellious. Because they they refused to go in and trust God that he was going to give them the promised land. They were terrified. They said, no, we're going with the ten spies. This is too much, too big. These people are, are giants. Remember they said, they're, they're, we're like grasshoppers in their, in their eyes? Well, guess what this narrator is going to point out next. Let's continue on. Moses uh, spoke to the people of Israel according to all that Yahweh had given him in the commandment to them. After he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites... He's one of the giant kings. This is a man whose stature was, uh, some, some Bibles say that he stood nine feet tall. So when they're saying grasshoppers, there's some hyperbole in there, but they're terrified. They can't take this. And it's interesting that this narrator is pointing out the size of the people that were defeated on that side of the, trans, of the Jordan, the Transjordan. This is Moses and his people trans. They had defeated this person, this king. And he continues on who lived in Heshbron, 
And Og, oh, interesting Og, he's another giant king. Two giant kings are defeated before they ever get into land. This is, this is the, re, the you've got the people that, the 11-day trek should have meant you were at the, were at the edge, we sent in the spies, which, by the way, you ever notice that the spies was not God's idea? They came up with that. They send in the spies, they come back, and now they're not ready, they're not going. They're trusting in their own flesh, their own ability to, 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 to do what they need to do. So, so now we're, uh, we continue on. Uh, who lived in Ashtaroth and Endri, Endre, excuse me, beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this saying. That's the whole book of Deuteronomy. Moses undertook to explain. He's going to explain everything in God's graciousness to, to let these people know what is expected of them. And then the rest of it, then he gets into, boom, now we change person. And now you got Moses going. Or if you hold to this, the, then you hold to the understanding that this is Moses this is Moses' voice. I just, uh, there's some past tense use of verbs in here and whatnot that um, the use of the word, um, oh, he says, beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. That means this person is standing, this narrator is standing on the west bank of the Jordan. The west bank is the bank that is the side for the victors to go in. That's what Joshua Nobody would be standing on that bank yet looking back and tell, talking about what's coming in. I mean, I, in my view, I'll say it that way, because I think it makes more logic that this narrator is saying the people are right there, they've got to come this way. The way he says this word in Hebrew, it always refers to the east side. So he's standing on the west side looking to the east side. They haven't entered into it yet. Okay, and then watch, go to the very end, the last chapter of Deuteronomy. And I just want to show you this. You can get an idea. Here we are. Chapter 34. The death of Moses. Then Moses went up to the plains of Moab, to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pishkah, which is opposite Jericho. And, and Yahweh showed him all the land. Long story short, he's going he's to die here, and he's not, he's not gonna, no one's going to know what mountain his body is on. Does Moses know this, and he puts this in ahead of time? Or is this a narrator giving the history so that we understand what happened to Moses? All I'm trying to expose you to is when I first became a Christian, I had very liberal theology. And then I went, and the pendulum swung really far, and I went to a theology that said, man, if you don't hold on to every word in the English translation or every understanding as what the, the guy at the bottom with your study notes said, then somehow you are less of a Christian. And I'm just telling you that through, through my studies, and Pastor Pete and I have talked about this, that when you start to understand the literature, you see that God has, it, there's the possibility, I'm not going to knock anybody down to hold it on to what I was first taught, but there's the possibility that God is using narrators. God is using editors. God is using scribes post the life of the person that wrote the, the book to give the book, uh, to put it in a form 
that communicates what God wants communicated in these writings by that author. So there's just something to consider. Okay, let's continue on. As, it, as you look at themes, or the audience, we already know what the audience is. Uh, the children less than 20 years of age, the first generation of Exodus, plus Joshua and Caleb. You got themes. Um, this theme this week is a call uh, to covenant faithfulness. And this is a, a, a theological summation of Genesis through Numbers by way of covenant renewal. So he's telling, Moses is telling the people, look, you've got to be faithful You've got to be faithful. If you aren't faithful, then this is what's going to happen to you. God is gracious. God has lovingly come to us. You've got to be faithful to him. But in the very end, we're going to see he also lets them know, but you're not. You're not going to be faithful. Okay. So concerns of the audience of this book. What do they, what do they need to know? Well, they need to know, will Yahweh go with them in the conquest? So Moses is going to deal with that. Can they rely on him to deliver the land to him? Moses is going to deliver, uh, deal with that. How should they treat nations in the land? Oh, we're going to, what are we going to do with these? Are all of them to be removed? Can some of them stay? What, 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 what looks like? You know, how do we determine this? Uh, number, the next one. What about nations outside the land? What do we do when these nations try and do uh, interactive commerce with us? How do we make it so we stay pure and yet we interact with these people? Because remember, the Israelites are supposed to be a blessing unto all the families of the earth. Well, how are they going to be a blessing if they make themselves a communal compound and lock all the doors? What's that? And, and kill everybody. Kill everybody on the inside. Then, I mean, how is that even possible? You've got to interact with the world. There have been religions that have, have said... We are communal. We, we pull away from the world. We won't want any of the world to infiltrate. And, and I get what they're doing because they're, trying to, they're doing a wonderful thing in trying to protect the purity of what they're teaching their children and they want to raise up the next generation. But we have to raise them up with the understanding that they have to go out. They have to engage the world because we're the ones that were called to be priests unto the world, holy priests. We're the ones that mediate on behalf of those that don't know the God that we know, and we share the God we know. So Moses is dealing with that. How might they live productive lives in the land, avoiding the, the, the discipline, should be discipline, their parents experienced in the desert? And then last one, what can they expect from this covenant with the Lord in the future? And he lays all that out. Okay, this is fascinating. I, I, I thought about maybe not doing a handout, and when I got to this, uh, his outline of the passage, and, and I had compared it to my study Bible outline and a couple other outlines, and this book even deals with like two, or th two different outlines. Outlines are, are man's attempt to put the, the book into a, an, an arranged order that seems to communicate what God is trying to communicate. When we got to this, I'm telling you, I looked at this and said, no way. This can't be right. Again, this is... Um, Red, oh, yeah, there it is. John Scott Red that comes up with this outline. Look at this. I'm gonna I'm gonna go over it. I want you guys to see this because if any of you are curious, what it looks like, what does the manifestation of any commandment looks like? After I preached on um, the Sabbath uh, a few weeks back at the beginning of, of uh, May, I had people come up to me and say, "Hey, can you tell me am I honoring the Sabbath if I do this or that?" Or oh. oh 
I was hoping you were going to give me more examples so I would know if I was honoring the Sabbath or not. And I get what they're saying. They're desperate for it. And this is interesting. If you look at the way Red has this lined out, Moses is expounding, he is explaining in further detail what each commandment will look like in their culture. Thank you, Moses. Can you get up to the front and preach? Because our, our people are dying to know today what it looks like to honor the fourth commandment. Keep the, whole, the, the Sabbath holy. And I don't get a, to punt on that one. That'll actually be me preaching that. But it's just, it's neat. So when you look at this, you see the first commandment. First off, you have the Ten Commandments restated in chapter 4, uh, verse 44 through 533. I'm not going to hit all the verses now, but I, what I want you to see, and the reason I line that up in its own column is so that you can see end of chapter, you know, it just, it's one, it may not be the end of chapter, it is one continuous line. And you start to, and if you look at this, go back and be a Berean, see if, hey, Red, I think you got this right, or I think you're all wet. I think you're wrong on this one. But you determine. First commandment, he's, he's going to deal with uh, monotheism, and he's in second commandment, he's going to deal with worship. Third commandment, honoring the name of the Lord. Fourth, Sabbath. I mean, he goes right down. That's the section between chapter 6 all the way to chapter 26. He's dealing with what does it look like to honor these commandments in this new society that you're going to be a part of. Based on everything I told you. Remember Pastor Pete was telling, him, telling you that, you know, in the book of, uh, of Leviticus, we, we needed the, uh, uh, the, the understanding of sacrifices. And we needed to have some type of a sacrifice so that we could enter in and engage God in this meeting with God. So all of this is, okay, how do we do this in this land? What is it going to look like? These are, this, you know, I, I'll be frank with you. I haven't looked at all of these, but I went and checked some of these. And I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. There might be something to this. I think this guy's outline is better than the other outlines I was looking at. So I wanted to make sure and give this in a handout so you guys can go and check it. Um, maybe I'm a geek. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm uh, uh, I don't know. I just, I, to me, like this, I can't wait to talk to my wife about it. Because my wife is one of them that wants to know, are we, God bless her, are we honoring the Sabbath? Are we or aren't we? You're the leader, Nicholas, leading our family. Are we honoring? I'm following faithfully. And so let's take a look at what, what, what Moses said that generation was supposed to do in that covenant setting at that time. Don't take it one for one. Remember, there's a principles that are played out in our lives. So... Um, just fantastic stuff. Anyway, okay. What I wanted to do, uh, I wanted to, let's see. I, well, I'll just show you. Let me stay here on the same page, the first page. Let me finish with this. Notice that he uses five, he breaks this chapter down in five parts. He's got the historical prologue that starts out, and he's telling them everything that he, this is everything that happened to the, the last generation, which is part of your heritage, so it's part of your generation. And then he's going to move to stipulations. We talked about that. That's chapter 4 all the way to chapter 26. It includes the Ten Commandments. Then he's going to have a ratification ceremony. Uh, he did that in chapter 33 of Exodus with the first generation. They ratified the covenant. There's a second ratifying of this new, with this new generation, which is kind of cool. Then he's got, in chapter 4, he's got redemptive historical prospectus, which is the blessing and the curses, which are fascinating. Um, in and of themselves. I've, I've preached on it before. I'm just going to give you a, a reminder of a visual. 
Moses, not Moses, excuse me, Joshua, when he gets them in the land, and I cannot remember the, the, the mountains, he puts on, there, there are two mountains that are opposite one another. And he's got, what's that? Yeah, I can't remember which mountains. I, I'll mess it up. Um, I think one of them was Ebal. Or I, gosh, I can't remember. Anyway, long story short, he takes the, the, the uh, Israelites, cuts them in, to, in, in half, and says, okay, you half are going to stand on this, this mountain. In this valley, there's a valley in between it, and you half are going to stand over here. Is, notice anything different with your mountains? Yeah. One mountain. These are mountains that are only separated from a, by a valley. One mountain has lush vegetation on it. Right across the valley, desert. Looks like any mountain in Phoenix, Arizona in the middle of summer. Just dead bushes. And so the, the, the people in the lush mountain are going to recite out loud all of the blessings. If you do this, this is how I'll bless you. And the, all the Israelites standing on the other mountain, which represent death, wilderness, uh, chaos, uh, an arid environment, an environment that is just, just without water, without, you know, your constant thirst, always needing, always lacking. They're going to do, they're going to recite to the other half the curses. What an incredible, I am a visual person. When I see that, I'm thinking, oh, I think I actually might get this sermon because the way God set it up, they could visually see, oh, wow. If we follow what God says, we'll, have, we'll live in a righteous community. We'll live in a just community. He will pour out his favor on us. Or if we rebel against him and do what is right in our own eyes, you did a great job of the devotion this week, Pete, on that issue, um, then we're going we're gonna to experience all of this ugliness in our life. What in a, I mean, gosh, that's, that's a visual that is helpful to me. Okay, then you, have, you get down to the last part, the part number five, historical epilogue. It is not 940. Goodness, Nicholas. I'm going to bring you through this last one. Give me five minutes, and then I'm going to have to close in prayer, and I'll let you guys just look at it. All right, this is a visual on another author's attempt to understand or outline the, the book. You'll notice there are three sections, three main sections. It's in, um, if you look up here with me, it's laid out. These are the three that he has, like this. Okay, I'm going to walk you through what he has here. Um, and notice in, under this section, you see big banners uh, there. It says uh, about two-thirds, no, excuse me, one-third of the way down the page. It says chapter 1 through 11 is one section. Chapter 12 through 26 is another section. 27 to 34 is another section. He says, according to the first one, Moses, uh, we have Moses' opening speech. And then the middle one, he says, a collection of laws. I would agree with that. Uh, Red would agree with that. And then the third one, you have Moses' final speech and his death. Now, go to the top left corner. I'm going to walk you through this, this cool little info, uh, info, whatever you call it. What's it called? Infographic. Thank you. I couldn't get it. All right, so top left. Now, you probably, it's, you're going to strain if, you have, if your glasses aren't dialed in perfectly, so I'm just going to read it because I, I watched the video sev uh, several times to get it. So you've got the Exodus up in the top left, and you see all the people there. Then you've got the covenant at Mount Sinai, and you see the two, t the two tablets. And then you have the people leaving, 
And, and somewhere in there, you start to see the banner that says the new generation. Because you notice, you, can you see the graves in the, about the middle of the, the people? Because one generation, their disobedient generation of the parents has to die off. And now you have the new generation moving forward. Then you have, um, that's chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. You already heard me uh, 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 read this. It says, Moses explains the Torah. Okay, so then now, uh, and he's, he's, he's explaining everything to the people. It, it gave us that understanding. That's what Deuteronomy is. Then you move, continuing downward, you've got, uh, let me see, uh, chapters 1 through 3. You're seeing the little dark little bullet point, the story so far. And the story so far is, notice all the people are in black. This is the rebellious generation. And they want manna, and they're rebelling. Even Moses is in black. It's, it's despairing thinking about these people. Uh, they just are not going to get it. And yet, all the way to the right on that little column, you see Israel's rebellion and then God's grace. God continues to show them grace despite their complaining and their whining and not trusting in God. Then you move down. See the dotted line? You move down. And this is where Jamie was talking about it. And now you're in uh, the the greater portion of of chapters uh, 4 through 11. Um, uh, Again, dealing with 1 through 11, still in the same column there. You got Moses' call to covenant faithfulness. He's starting off to say, this is the theme Everybody stay faithful. And he has um, the Shema. The Shema is the, the way to uh, verbalize that in English. Um, that is the, the word for listen in Hebrew. Um, and it says, uh, listen, Israel, the Lord is our God, the, the Lord alone. And you shall love the Lord, with your, uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. And that's Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Then you go down below, and it says... He's got three little markers, listen, love, and Lord alone. And he talks about how listening is in the Hebrew, when it uses this word, is more than just hearing. It means responding in obedience. So we as Americans will hear this and read this and hear and listen, and we go, oh, he's just telling them. No, 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 he's telling them so that they'll obey. It's a different understanding of our word, listen. And it continues on, love, and you got devotion and decision, and then the Lord alone. And then right below, listen and Lord uh, love, excuse me, you've got, again, the, if, you, if you live by God in obedience to God and devotion to God, you produce wisdom and justice, and the people at the very bottom of that column are the people of the world. They are, are all di- dressed different. That's what the, the nation's called to do, is to, is to bless all the nations or all the families of the world, according to um, uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Okay, but when you see Lord alone, you see that you see the, the two black idols on the bottom right corner and all the people worshiping those idols. Those are the peoples of the nation, and that's what they're... The, Israel is supposed to hold on to it and proclaim it. That's the light coming out. It, and they're supposed to pro- proclaim it to a lost community, a lost world. All right, now let's go over the top again. You've, you've got the middle section, um, and it's, it's section tw- uh, chapters 12 through 26, a collection of laws. And you've got Israel's worship of the temple. Oh, what he's doing here is he's showing that. This is fascinating. I sometimes forget this and I have to be reminded of this. Not only was Israel required to, to tithe one-tenth, every three years they would continue to accumulate another tenth. And every three years they would give that whole tenth that they've stored up for three years to the poor. And that it's not the poor that don't work and want an entitlement and don't want to, want, don't want to do it, and, we, and the government gives them money no matter what they do. Not, not, not our understanding of poor that is, is that we make people poor in this country, but this is the people that have come by God's providence on hard times and have nothing. 
Their, their, their land got swept away by a flood or whatever, and they got nothing to start with. Those people who have nothing, the, the wife whose husband died um, because of something unexpected, although ordained by God, God makes a system whereby they're cared for because the, the, the community has, has set aside monies for them. So we see that. And then you go to the right. You've got the law and the prophets. Fascinating about that. Look at the elders, priests, and kings. The emphasis here in Deuteronomy is that the law and the prophets are above or speak to, or in another way of saying it, the elders, priests, and kings are, are to be submissive to the law and the prophets. If they do not submit to the law and the prophets, we will not have a just community. We will have a society that looks and reflects the rest of the world and is evil. And then he goes down and he talks about the, uh, the very bottom of that, the civil law and social justice, uh, marriage, family. Uh, um, long story short, there's a little bit of an, an exercise you can do there if you want to see how Moses recognizes these laws, these principles. And, not Moses, excuse me, Paul does. And he even pulls one of these, and it shows an example. He goes to Deuter- um, Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 9, 9, he uses Deuteronomy 25, 4. But he doesn't do it one for one. He takes a principle and applies it. And that's the way we're supposed to. It's teaching us a hermeneutic. It's teaching us how to interpret these old laws and bring them into our new community, our new, our new culture. Okay, so now let's continue on. Third column, 27 to 34. Don't go to the box at the top. I'll get that at the very end. 27 to 34. Moses' final speech in his death. He gives warnings. We talked about, I gave the picture of blessings versus curses or rebellion. He lays all that out. As you move down that box, you even see where Moses' back is to the people because he knows they're going to rebel. And then you see, but, the very, this, this ends with this, Moses saying, but one day God will circumcise your hearts so that you will love God and, you, and live as you're called to live. And that's where we are because of the, the covenant of grace. He's, he's pointing ahead to a new covenant where God circumcises our hearts and changes us so that we're now able to love God first and foremost. And then you have underneath that dotted line, Moses' last word and death. And then there's, you see the poem and the warnings and the poem and the blessing. Now go, we'll end with this and then I'll close here quickly. Go to the top right corner box. Questions unresolved in the Torah. You need to be reminded to ask yourself, but what about? But what about? If you have no what about questions, you probably didn't read the text close enough to realize no book answers all the questions. It sends you to the next book. And now all of a sudden you realize, in some sense, your Bible is a treasure map. I'm using, I'm being very, very, I'm using a lot of uh, liberty here. Um, It sends you to the next step, so you go searching and seeking the kingdom of God. These are the questions that are unanswered. When will the descendant of a of woman come to defeat evil? Remember, that was promised in Genesis 3. That didn't get explained yet, I mean, the timing of that. How is God giving, excuse me, going to rescue the world through Abraham's family? We know that Abraham, uh, Israel is called to be a blessing, but how? They don't know that Israel is going to produce the Savior. Out of the lineage of the king is going to come the Savior. It's going to be the one who brings the good news of salvation. Then it says, how can a holy God be reconciled to a rebellious people? And how will God transform the hearts of his people? Let me go to the, you guys just think about it. I wish I had more time. I just wanted you guys to get a, a more thorough understanding of this. This book is not, oh gosh, here's more law. Can I just blow it off and not read it? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We, we pray. Get a hold of our hearts. It's so easy in such a busy world to prioritize and say, I just don't have time for everything that's expected of me. And so we cut, the, we cut corners. We go fast. We don't listen. We don't really read. We just kind of let our eyes go over the words. Father, get a hold of us. Let us know the true priorities. Let us love your, wor- your word as David did. Let us hide it in our hearts. Let us cherish it. Let it be revealed in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.